Well, happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, thanks for inviting us to be a part of your weekend, and I hope you have a great time with your friends and family this weekend. Uh, it's a weekend where we stop and we remember, right? We remember those who sacrificed their life so that we can enjoy the freedom that we do, and so we're so grateful for that. I also was uh, reading that uh, the president ordered the flags at half-staff, uh, and that is to remember those who during this pandemic have lost their life. And so obviously our country is going through a really hard time <clears throat> and some families uh, are walking through a hard time. And so it's a chance for us just to remember those who've lost loved ones. But I hope that uh, in the midst of that, appreciating the freedom that we have and the sacrifice that was made for our freedom, that it also causes us to remember the freedom we have because of what Jesus did for us, right? That he sacrificed his life in order that we could have a freedom, freedom from our sin and freedom to have a relationship with God, which is why we're in this letter called First Peter. And so if you have a Bible, wherever you're sitting, grab your coffee, grab your Bible, a pen, uh, and go to First Peter. Easiest way to find it, I think, is table of contents. But uh, open it up to chapter two, because we've been in this letter written by a guy who used to be a fisherman, is now this preacher, and he's writing this letter to real people who really need hope. And so that's why we've said this, that First Peter is all about living hope while living here. It's a little play on words, but we said this, first and foremost, living hope is a gift that I can receive. Okay, it's a gift that I can receive because of God's mercy, and it's a gift that I can receive because of what Jesus did for me. What Jesus did was this. When I say yes to Jesus, I'm saying, yes, I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sin and that he beat death, sin, and Satan, rose again. And when I place my faith and trust, surrender my life, go all in, I can have a living hope, right? I can have a living hope. I can have a living hope, Peter says, and that living hope does this. It affords me the opportunity to have a fresh start. It's a new birth, right? Born again. Some of you heard that term. We talked about that. I can have a fresh start, forgiven from my sins, but I also can have a secure future. I have an inheritance. I know heaven's going to be my home, right? I have this forever security. But there's something Peter wants us to get, and it is the crux to his whole letter. And that is this. Not only can I have a fresh start and a secure future, but I have a brand new identity. And the reason that is so important, and Peter knows it's important, is because only when I know who I am will I know what to do. I was reading a story this week, a guy in Britain, he fell and he hit his head. Fell and hit his head, and when he woke up in the hospital, his wife was there, he had no idea who she was. His two daughters were there, he had no idea who they were. He was somebody who worked in the financial world. He actually owned his own business. He had no idea that he owned his own business. He had no idea what his occupation was. And because he had no idea who he was, guess what? <clears throat> he had no idea what to do. That's why Peter's writing this. Because <clears throat> the people he's writing to didn't hit their head, but life hit them pretty hard. Life hit them pretty hard, and they're scattered throughout northern Turkey, modern-day northern Turkey. And what he's saying to them is this, I don't want you to forget who you are. He said to us two weeks ago, don't forget you're a child of God. If you've said yes to Jesus, you belong to the family of God. You've tasted the goodness of God. Keep drinking the goodness of God. Last week he said this, don't forget 
God's building this thing called the church, right? And you are living stones in this thing that he's building. It's not bricks and mortar, but it's lives transformed, lined up on Jesus, right? Lives that are anchored to Jesus. And so you're part of this thing called the church that he's building. Peter wants to take it a step further. And I think today what he wants to show us is absolutely fascinating. Revolutionary, actually. Look what he says. If you have your Bibles open, 1 Peter. Here's what he says, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, Jesus, talked about this last week, the living stone, rejected by humans, Peter would have seen this, eyewitness to this, but chosen by God, precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. To be a, here's our key words for today, a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Bump down in your Bibles to verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says. But you are a chosen people. Here it is again. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. He says, once you weren't a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's what Peter wants you to know. Not only are you a child of God if you've said yes to Jesus, not only are you a living stone in this building that he's putting together called the church if you said yes to Jesus, but if you said yes to Jesus, you ready? Hold on. You are part of a royal and holy priesthood. That means this. If you said yes to Jesus, <clears throat> you ready? Hang on. You're a priest. Some of you are like, Mom always wanted me to be, right? Some of you, that conjures up all kinds of crazy images. Some of you grew up in a Catholic tradition. And so when I say that, you think of some funny single guy who always wore his collar backwards, right? And he lived at the church and wasn't allowed to get married. And you're like, no way, right? Uh, others of you, uh, you grew up in a Protestant tradition, and, and maybe when I say, hey, you're a priest, you think of the chubby little guy that always wore a tie that was too short. And for some reason, somehow his wife always knew how to play the piano. And you're like, not me, right? But like some of you are like, I'm a what? <laughs> I'm a priest? I didn't sign up for that. I don't want to be no pastor, no priest, no reverend, no clergy, no minister, whatever word comes to your mind. And yet what Peter is saying is this. He's saying, you are part, if you said yes to Jesus, part of a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood. Now listen, before you tune out and say, oh man, that's not quite as in intriguing to me, this imagery that Peter's giving us, listen close, has the power to transform your life and has the power to revolutionize our church. You're saying, Dan, no, that's a pretty big statement. How do you know that? I know that because it's already happened. In church history, this imagery is the very imagery that God used to revolutionize the church. Maybe you've heard of this time in church history. It's a time called the Reformation. And the Reformation was catalyzed by this guy in the 16th century whose name happened to be Martin Luther. And we have a picture here of Martin Luther, and he's got this funny hat on, which is why some of you are like, I don't want to be no priest, right? 
But here's the deal. This guy did some fascinating things in the 16th century. If you know the story, and if you don't, that's fine, but in response to what he saw as abuses by and this power controlled by the Catholic Church, he took his 95 thesis and he kind of nailed it to a door. And on that thesis are things that have become near and dear to people in our church, to people in our churches. Some of them are this, like on that thesis, he's like, it's the scripture, not church tradition, that ought to guide followers of Jesus. On that thesis, he said this, that a relationship with God, forgiveness from sin, comes by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Like, like I'm going to receive this. It's something I, I don't have to earn. It's not by penance. It's, it's through faith, and it's in Christ. But part of this guy's 95 thesis was this idea of the priesthood of all believers. That when you say yes to Jesus, you belong. Imagine this, in the 16th century. Imagine him nailing this to the door. Imagine the, the Catholic Church back then seeing this. Him saying, everyone who places their faith and trust in Jesus is part of the priesthood of believers. And with one fell swoop, Martin Luther literally knocked down the divide between the clergy and what was called the laity, between the professional pastors and those who were followers of Jesus. You see, all Martin Luther was doing, he was simply applying what Peter is saying. And to understand what Peter is saying, we have to go even further back into history. We have to go back into a part of your Bible that many of you like find hard to understand the Old Testament, right? And when we go back into the Old Testament, there's some things, let's just admit it, that are hard, like some of you are like, you get to Leviticus and you give up, right? I get it. There's some things that are harder to understand there. But let me give you an overview real quick. When you look at the Old Testament, God chose the nation of Israel to be his people, to worship him, and to represent him to the entire world. This whole story starts with a guy, maybe you've heard of him, named Abraham, right? God chooses Abraham, and he says, I'm going to make this nation of you. Abraham has a son in his old age named Isaac. Literally means laughter. Isaac has two boys, Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob then has a son whose name is Joseph, Joseph gets sold into slavery, right, into Egypt. And then all of a sudden, the story of this nation begins to escalate until eventually you get to a guy named Moses. And Moses comes on the scene when the entire nation of Israel is slaves to Egypt. And God says to Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to lead my people out of Egypt and I'm going to take them to the promised land. Here's where the story gets interesting. So Moses does that. You can read that. But when he begins to lead the people through the wilderness, 40 years, he begins to lead them through the wilderness. God begins to set up some pictures for them to understand what it means to worship him and how to relate with God. And one of those pictures is this tent that they would have set up called the tabernacle. 
And the tabernacle would have been an illustration for them of how they worshiped God. And it's going to help you understand what Peter's saying. Because this picture that God gave them was a picture of what it meant for them to worship him and how they would relate with him. And I want to show you something that's going to help you in a second here. There were three main areas of this tent, so to speak. It was about 75 feet by 150 feet. So it wasn't like huge. But the three main areas were the outer court where people could stand. And then there was a curtain that would have separated and you would have gone into the holy place. That's where the priesthood did their work. And then there was another veil, a curtain, about three feet wide. It was big, that literally separated the priesthood from this place called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that was called the, the place where the, the, the high priest would have gone to meet with God. Now, here's the deal. When God set this picture up, he called out a group of people called the priesthood, they came from the same family. Moses had a brother, his name was Aaron. And so the priesthood came from the line of Aaron. And their duties included this. The priest and the priesthood would have represented the people to God. And then they would have represented God to the people. And then beyond that, they would have done the work of God. That's what they did. And so part of that would have been they would have laid out the showbread. It represented the 12 tribes of Israel. They would have kept the lamps burning. They would have offered sacrifices. That's what the priest did. But here's what I want you to see today, and then we're going to fly through this picture. There was this curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And that's where... One time a year, only one guy, his name was the high priest, could go to offer the sacrifice of atonement on Yom Kippur. That literally on the Ark of the Covenant was this thing called the mercy seat. And only with the sacrifice of blood could he stand in the very presence, it pictured the presence of God, and atone for the sins of the people. Look here a second, lean in. That's where this picture begins to come alive. This is not just a bunch of Old Testament hard to understand stuff. Because when you understand this picture, you begin to understand what the book of Hebrews says. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, it says, Now Christ has become the high priest over all good things that have come with his own blood, not the blood of goats and calves, he entered the most holy place once for all time and secured our redemption forever. Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. One chapter later in chapter 10, it says, under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. 
I want you, if you have a pen and paper, to write this down. All I think Peter wants us to see, and the picture helps me see, is this. Jesus is the high priest. And when he went into the Holy of Holies, figuratively speaking, he not only is the high priest, but he became the perfect, complete, once-for-all sacrifice for our sins. The minute he did that, like if you can picture the story of Jesus on the cross, the minute he offered himself as a sacrifice, he offered himself as a complete, once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of mankind, something absolutely mind-blowing happened. In the book of Matthew, it says this, Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He gave up his spirit. And at that moment, at the moment he died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Lean in. So powerful. The minute Jesus died, guess what? In the temple, which was the permanent version of the tabernacle, that curtain between the holy place and the holy of holies was torn in two from top to bottom. Literally, Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice. As the high priest, he became the perfect sacrifice and God ripped the curtain that separated us from him. And that helps me understand what it means to belong to the priesthood. There's three things you gotta get today. There's three things and then we're done. Because when I begin to understand this, I realize first and foremost, as a priesthood, we now have direct access to God. There is not a curtain. There is not a separation. Because of what Jesus did as our high priest, the curtain has been ripped open and we have direct access to God. Guy I read, whose name is Eric Geiger, said it this way, our identity as priests enable us to go where others have longed to go and meet others, meet with those who others have longed to meet with. I think of it this way. The best illustration I have is <clears throat> many of you who know me, you know that big football fan and been to many football games and uh, football games are, are enjoyable, but they also have things that, that can be inconvenient, right? Uh, I took my boys, I think it was two years ago, to a game in Pennsylvania, Penn State. That's my favorite team. And uh, so we had tickets and uh, so we waited until the gates were open and we had to wait in line. And then uh, I tried to get down close to the field and a usher yelled at me because my ticket wasn't for that section. And so I quickly got out. But we enjoyed the game and had a great time. But it made me think that a few years earlier, we had a different experience. A few years earlier, when my youngest son was in high school, he got a special invitation uh, the invitation was for us to come down, and uh, we were able to go to an Ohio State game. Yes, I said we went to an Ohio State game, okay? And uh, so, of course, we're going to take it, and he could bring two guests with him. Well, <clears throat> you know, my son Joel and I were like, hey, you know, we'll volunteer, right? And so all he had to do, we had no tickets. All he had to do was go to a certain gate, 
and say his name because he got this special invitation and then present us as his two guests. I was a little leery. I'm like, I don't know how this is going to work, but that day we went and everybody's waiting outside and we walked up to that gate while everybody's waiting for the different gates to open. And Joel and I walked behind Aaron. And he went to that gate and he said, hey, I'm Aaron Gregory. They had his name. And he said, these are my two guests. And they said, why don't you come on in? And we walked in behind Aaron and they gave us one of these. And they said, put this around your neck. And we said, we'd be happy to. And we looked back and I thought, man, this is pretty cool. Because all those poor saps are waiting for the gates to open. And we had one of these. Because we were with Aaron, right? And we just kind of followed him. Well, they took us up to this room. We got to see some cool stuff. They actually fed us. And we're like, man, this is kind of cool. I wonder what's going to happen next. We went from that room and they said, just make sure you have that thing on all the time. And I remember holding on to this thing and we walked past all these people waiting to get to their seats and they walked us right out onto the field. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, I get to walk on the field? Yeah, why? Because I'm with Aaron and I got one of these. And I just kept showing everybody one of these, right? Everywhere I went, one of these. I remember they walked us up to our seats. I'd never been so close to the field in my life, right? And then at halftime, I'm like, well, man, we'll go get a Coke or some popcorn or something. And they said, well, you can go right across the field. I'm like, how can I go across the field? They said, just show them this. You see, this pass got me just about everywhere that I couldn't go without it. You see, here's the deal. When I think about what it means to belong to the priesthood, I can walk directly into the presence of God. I kind of got a priest pass because I know Jesus. That's all Peter wants you to know. I can go even where in the Old Testament kings were not allowed to go. Check me on this. Go back to that hard part of your Bible called the Old Testament. Read 2 Chronicles chapter 26. You'll read an interesting story about a guy named King Uzziah. The king went into a place he wasn't allowed to go and he spent the rest of his days with leprosy, died with leprosy. You see, Peter's like, you and I, as part of the priesthood, we can go where even kings were not allowed to go. We got the priest pass. I love the way Hebrews puts it. It says, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, he opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. We got a priest pass. We have the opportunity to talk directly to God. Listen close. I, I want to tell you something because I talked to a lot of you at different times. You do not need a priest or a pastor to talk to God for you. You, my friend, if you've said yes to Jesus, you got the pass. And he's inviting you in. And you know why you do? It's not because of anything great that I've done, you've done, we've done. It's because we're with Jesus. It's because we're with Jesus. You don't need a professional clergy to talk to God for you. You have direct access to God. It also makes me wonder if I, if I slow down enough to appreciate the incredible access that I have. 
I was reading a story about a guy named Josh Bell. Josh Bell is this world-renowned violinist. And the Washington Post did this interesting experiment. He typically plays in concert halls, and people pay hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, just to hear him play. In fact, I was reading this, and it said this, that he plays a Gibson handcrafted violin made in 1713. And then it says this, he paid three and a half, ready, million dollars for his violin. I don't know all that means, but it just means to me that dude's good. That's what it means to me, right? A guy can play. Well, the experiment went like this. On a Friday morning, he was to play at a concert in Washington, D.C., and the Washington Post set him up and put just kind of normal clothes on him, and they set him up in the metro station where all kinds of people would come and go. He opened up his violin case, the $3.5 million violin. He laid it in front of him. He threw a couple dollars in there just to seat it, and then he began to play. This, this incredible world-renowned concert violinist began to play. And then they just stood back to see what would happen. 1,100 people passed in the first hour. Seven even stopped. A few flipped quarters into his case. Until eventually, this gal named Stacy came by and she recognized him. She knew exactly who he was. And this is what she said. She said, it was the most astonishing thing I've ever seen in my life. Joshua Bell was standing there playing at rush hour, and people weren't stopping, not looking. Some were flipping quarters at him. Quarters, she said. I wouldn't do that to anybody. I was thinking, oh my gosh, what kind of city do I live in that people would rush by and not realize the opportunity? You know, it makes me wonder about the opportunity we have to walk into the presence of God. To slow down. You know, Psalm 46 says, be still, be quiet, and know that I'm God. Many times we, just like the people in D.C., are such in a hurry that we don't take advantage of what Jesus has afforded us because of his sacrifice. I think there's something else Peter wants us to know, and that's this. I would write it down this way. As a priesthood, we do the work of God. So we have direct access to God. We do the work of God. And I want to I show you this. In 1 Peter, it says this. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then look at what he says. This is the work of a priest, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now listen close. This is just interesting to me. <clears throat> I've been a pastor for almost... Uh, 27 years, I think, 27, 28 years. And can I tell you something? Sometimes the, the pastor card can be a real conversation killer. Like when people ask, what do you do? I mean, it just can, right? Like, like you show up and like, what do you do? You know, and well, I'm a pastor. People look at you, well, you get paid to be good, right? Yeah, the rest of you are good for nothing, but you know, we get paid to be good, right? Or you show up to the family event and you're like, well, Dan's here, he's the pastor, right? So let's have him pray. Or, or you show up and you're like, hey, the pastor's here. Everybody stops swearing, right? Or something like that, you know? But, but here's the deal. Sometimes when I'll tell people I'm the pastor, this is what they'll say to me. Oh, you do God's work. And I always look at them like, well, I guess. But it's one of the great things that the Reformation bought. 
because here's what the Reformation brought to us in the 16th century. It literally knocked down the wall and it said the priesthood does the work of God. In fact, I want to tell you this. If pastors are the only ones doing the work of God, then pastors are not doing the work God has called them to do. Ephesians 4 says this, that my primary role, the pastors here, their primary role is to coach and equip the priesthood for the work that God has called them to do. That's where this picture, the tabernacle, helps me. Because as priests, you and I as priests, we get to make sure the candle's always lit. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And then he said this, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to God in heaven. We get to make sure there's always bread on the table show bread. You're like, what do you mean? Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And we're the ones who get to make sure that spiritually hungry people in our world always have access to the only thing that's going to satisfy their spiritual hunger. We get to, literally before the altar of incense, that's where the priest would pray. We get to represent people to God. We get to pray for our community, pray for our nation, pray for our leaders, pray for our neighbors. And then we offer sacrifices, just like priests. You're like, we do? So we're like, I didn't know that, right? Don't go out and kill your neighbor's cat or something like that. Do we offer those kinds? That's not what I'm saying. What kind of sacrifices do we offer? The book of Hebrews helps me here. It says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Here's what I want you to know, that every time I make much of Jesus, I offer a sacrifice to him. Every time I sing songs that make much of Jesus, I share my story that makes much of Jesus. And then he goes on and he says this in verse 16. He says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. There you go. Like we get to offer sacrifices. That's what the priesthood does. Every time I respond to God's goodness by extending it to others, sacrifice. Every time I respond to God's kindness to me by extending his kindness, it's a sacrifice of praise. Every time I respond to God's forgiveness of me by extending it to those who've hurt me, sacrifice of praise. Every time I respond to his generosity to me by extending it to others, sacrifice. You see, that's what he's saying. In fact, Paul says in Romans 12, we don't offer dead sacrifices. He says, I urge you in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies, offer all of you as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Listen, listen. My entire life is a living sacrifice offered in response to what he's done for me. I do the work of God. And I offer a living sacrifice because I'm responding to the Jesus who died for me and is now alive. That's what living hope is. Living hope is living my life as a response to all that he is, all that he's done for me. We are part of the priesthood, direct access to God. We do the work of God. 
Every time you volunteer, every time you help your neighbor, every time you invest in a teenager, every time you respond to what he's done for you by extending it to others, you offer and you do the work of a priest. Which leads to the last thing and then we're done. Peter says this. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Look at this, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you weren't a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What's Peter saying? Here's where we end. Peter's simply saying this, as a priesthood, we declare the truth about God. Listen close. Priests are people who remember what it's like not to be in the priesthood. And priests of all people know where their life would be if they had not received mercy from God. And priests want to make sure that they extend that invitation and message to others. Paul put it this way in the book of Romans. He says, I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Look at this. He gave me the priestly duty of what? Proclaiming the gospel of God. Listen. When you look at the word priest and you drive it back into its Latin, the word priest when you take it back into Latin, comes from something that could have meant bridge builder. Priests are bridge builders. We represent God to people. I love that. I love that. Somehow part of my function as the priesthood is to build a bridge for people to know who God is, what God's about, and how much he loves them. And he says this, once you had not received mercy, now that you have received mercy, one of your primary functions is to build that bridge so that others can enjoy that mercy. You, if you've said yes to Jesus, are part of a royal and holy priesthood. You have direct access to God. Have you slowed down enough to appreciate that? You are part of a royal priesthood. You do the work of God. You are part of a royal priesthood if you've said yes to Jesus. You are the one who declares the good news of God to a world that desperately needs to hear it. For some of you watching this, you would say, I've never said yes to Jesus Can I tell you something? That the good news of this picture is that Jesus is the high priest who made the once-for-all sacrifice. Some of you are trying to get in good with God by being good, religious, kind. And the only way for you to have a relationship with God, forgiveness of your sins, is to say yes to Jesus, the high priest, who was the sacrifice. And the minute that happens, the minute that happens, direct access become part of this royal priesthood. So Father, thanks for like a powerful picture. Thanks for a profound picture. Forgive us for sometimes being so busy we run right past the opportunity to speak with you. Forgive us 
for sometimes forgetting who we are and that you've called us to do your work and forgive us for at times not building a bridge that invites people into this mercy that we've received. And God, I pray for those who might be watching who've never said yes to Jesus. I pray this day, this Memorial Day weekend, would be the weekend when they say yes to Jesus as Savior and Lord and become part of this royal priesthood, the priesthood of believers. I love you and thank you for loving me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.